You're listening to a sermon from Grace Church, located in Frisco, Texas. Get to know Grace Church better by visiting our website at www.gracechurchfrisco.org. Today's speaker is Pastor Craig Cabanis. Well, it's great to be together. I hope you had a wonderful Thanksgiving, and um, I'm so glad that you're here. Perhaps maybe you're still visiting uh, family or friends or something like that for the Thanksgiving holiday, and if so, it's just wonderful uh, to have you here with us today. My name is Craig, and I'm one of the pastors, and it's just uh, our joy uh, to say thanks for being with us sort of this Advent season. Today's the first Sunday of Advent, and it's really great to have you with us. There'll be a lot coming up throughout the season for you to participate in. We'll hear some announcements at the end of the service. One announcement I wanted to make prior to the announcements at the end of the service, because it really got lost probably in the pre-Thanksgiving uh, life, uh, and that is simply that tomorrow night uh, we're going to have a meeting in this room at uh, 7 o'clock, and it's to show some plans and talk about our preparation for building out a park in the uh, land behind us here that we're attached to. So that's really an exciting mission opportunity for us to provide something of significant value to our community, all these people that are around here, and we believe significant value to our church as well. So it'll be a way uh, for us to uh, gather and uh, play and hang out, uh, but also a way to invite all of our neighbors uh, over and to engage with them as well. So that'll be tomorrow night. Uh, if you cannot make it, we'd love to have you in person because we'll be able to talk. We'll be able to do some Q&A. You'll see monster slides. Uh, but if you cannot, it will be live streamed so you can watch at home uh, as well. Well, we're walking through the book of Ephesians, and today we're in chapter 4, and our theme today is we're going to talk about grown-up Christianity. What is big boy and big girl Christianity all about? That's what we want to look at today. And I, and I want to start, before I read the text, with a question. And that is, what is the goal of the church? What is our goal as a church? Another way to think about this might be this. What does church success look like? How do we know if we are a fruitful church? What does church success look like? Well, commonly, people assume, Christians and uh, I would say non-Christians alike, assume that the goal of the church and the marker of success is to grow and increase the attendance of the church. So church success is to gather more people on Sunday, the reasoning would go, and now in our new world uh, to combine that with uh, more people gathered on Sunday and more people uh, watching via live stream. But I want to ask, is attendance really the primary measure of success? Is gathering more and more people really the primary marker of fruitfulness? I mean, what if we assemble larger and larger crowds who merely show up to listen to a band and to hear a speaker? What if those people that gather don't know one another? What if they don't have any meaningful relationships with the crowd in which they assemble? What if they have no friends in the room or in the later services? 
What if they have no personal connections? Then is that fruitfulness? What if these people, this ever-increasing crowd, the marker of success, what if these people don't serve one another? What if they don't bear the burdens of one another and care for one another? What if they don't know what's going on in the lives of the other people, of any other people in the church? What if they are never in one another's homes? Is that a successful, fruitful church? What if they don't give of their time? What if they don't give of their finances? What if this ever-increasing group of people is not growing in holiness? What if they're not using their gifts? What if they aren't reaching their friends with the gospel? What if they don't leave the growing crowd each Sunday better prepared to apply the gospel to the rest of their life for the rest of the week? Is that church fruitful? What if we aren't growing to be more like Jesus? It isn't about how many people assemble It's about what are those people becoming. And put more specifically to today's text, what are those people becoming together? What are they becoming together? I fear that our definition of success may be more cultural than biblical. Last week we learned that we are to walk in a manner worthy of our calling by making every effort to maintain our unity together. And today we see that God's plan for his church is to grow up. It is to mature. It is to expand as well. But it is in this passage primarily a vision of grown-up Christianity. This is a primary goal. Here's the big idea of the text we're about to read. It's that the ascended Christ, that the victorious king who is raised to reign and rule over all, that the ascended Christ gives gifts to his people so that we all may minister and we all may mature together. We all may minister and we all may mature Together. So, with that in view, let's read this passage, Ephesians 4, verses 7 through 16. This is God's word for God's people. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, When he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he had also descended into the lower regions of the earth? He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure 
of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into Him who is the head into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped When each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Well, there's a transition from last week's passage to this. Last week was talking about, I think the title we used was All Y'all. It's talking about all. So verse 6, one God and Father of all, who is over all, through all, and in all, verse 7, but grace was given to each. So he's moving the focus from all to each, and he's communicating here that each is graced. Uh, But the grace was given, but grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Now, he's not talking about saving grace here. We could say he's talking about serving grace, grace for service. How do we know that? Well, that's the context of the whole passage. The verses I just read had to do with people using gifts uh, to build up God's church. So the context is one reason. Verse 12 says that everyone is called to the work of ministry. So the grace that's being spoken of, the word ministry is the same word as service. Uh, and so it means that really the, the, the grace given is for service, it is for ministry. Really, the idea of this verse and this passage is somewhat similar to Romans 12. Romans 12, 6 uh, says it this way, we have different gifts according to the grace given to us. So we each have differing gifts, and those gifts represent grace, as verse 7 here says, that Christ apportions or measures uh, out. So he's talking about serving grace, and, and these gifts of grace uh, are to be used for service. Uh, they're given by Jesus And they're given as a result of Jesus' victory and his ascension. So again, the big idea is the ascended Christ give gifts so that we all minister and we all mature together. And I'm going to break that down. The first section is the ascended Christ gives gifts. That's what we start with. Look at verse 8. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led host, a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men. Okay, that's a quote from uh, Psalm 68. Psalm 68 is about God ascending on high, and it's a passage that speaks of God's triumph, and it's sort of modeled after what would happen in war. When a king triumphed and won a battle, he would come back into the city, and he would display in a parade the, the, the spoils of war, and he would give gifts to the citizens. This was a, a, a typical uh, practice when one won a war. And so Psalm 68 talks about that. Psalm, uh, Ephesians 4, rather, takes Psalm 68 and says, you know what? This applies to Christ because Christ won a war. Christ won a great battle through his death and through his resurrection, and he ascended in victory, and he too poured out his spirit, and he gave gifts 
to man. So Jesus descends, verse 9 says, that's a, a picture of the incarnation. God descends to earth, Jesus Christ. He ascends in victory, and when he ascends in victory, he, he defeats all that is opposed to God, and he defeats all that is opposed to us. He defeats the curse. He defeats the power of death. He defeats the reign of the enemy, and then he gives his church the mission to extend his reign by sharing the good news with all people. He starts with telling us about five different gifts. So, Jesus ascends. He gives gifts to men, verse 8. And then in verse 11, we get five of these gifts that are evidently people. He gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers. Notice that these roles are not defined at all. They're not defined. They're not elaborated upon in any way. They're just listed. I've heard teaching and may have given teaching uh, on this passage focusing on verse 11 and the so-called five-fold ministry. But if you look at the passage, he says nothing about them. He just gives you this list. Now, looking elsewhere in Scripture, we can sort of briefly summarize what these are. Apostles and prophets, uh, the apostles were those sent with the gospel. There's a, there's a sense in which there's a unique group of apostles, the Twelve and Paul. Um, and sometimes today people speak of an apostolic function, uh, meaning people that are sent with the gospel to establish churches. So apostles are people sent with the gospel. Prophets were people who brought a word from God. Um, evangelists are people that spread the gospel and equipped others to do the same thing. Um, shepherds are, same word as pastors, those who lead, oversee, tend, and care for a church, a flock of God's sheep, a, a sh- shepherding a church. Teachers are those who teach the word for the building up of Christ. Now, it may seem strange that Paul offers no explanation of these roles. He just lists them. And I find that unique. As I thought about this this week, I find it unique because I think we all look at this and say, man, aren't these, aren't these really important roles? Aren't these the called ministers of God? Why no explanation? Apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers, aren't they the ones who are set apart for ministry? And this passage would say, no, no. This passage would say to us that the church is set apart for ministry. Look how he describes the church. They are to the apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers, verse 12, to equip the saints for the work of ministry. He doesn't say the believers. He doesn't say the body. He doesn't say the people of God. He says the saints. And saints means set apart. It means the holy one. Now, certainly the apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers are set apart as well because they're part of the body. But here he's saying that the church is set apart. It's the whole church that's the saints, not just the apostles and the prophets, the shepherds. It is the church. He sets apart the holy ones who are the saints. The reason we don't get a detailed description about these five gifted people or people who are gifts to the church is because in this passage, it's not about them. They are simply mentioned as the ones that prepare or equip or enable the entire church to do what it is supposed to do. 
The holy set apart ones, those called to ministry, the people of God. So, the risen Christ, the ascended Christ gives gifts. Number two, we all minister together. He gives gifts that we may all minister. Now, you may think, yeah, but aren't those other leaders especially set apart? Well, they, they have a unique role, we could say that. Among all the set-apart people, their role may be different in some way. But all the people of God are set apart uh, as members of the body. And the church has historically gotten this wrong. Maybe as you're hearing me talk right now, you're thinking that this sounds wrong to me. We have historically had this wrong. We have historically hired trained professional ministers to do the work of the ministry. So the ministry is done by the ministers. And there'll be a sign-up sheet in the lobby for a few roles we need filled, but the, the ministers are the ones who do the ministry. Why do we, because the text doesn't say that. Why did we come up with that? One reason is because for generations people read the King James Version. And the King James Version does not render this passage nearly as accurately as the ESV. Here's what the King James Version says. And he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers for the perfecting of the saints. These people are to perfect the saints. These people are for the work of the ministry. These people are for the edifying of the body of Christ. Do you see, in this reading, the simple reading is that as these offices, they are given so that they perfect the people of God, they do the work of ministry, they build up the body of Christ. But the ESV translates this far more accurately, where it doesn't say that they do the work of ministry, it says that they, verse 12, equip the saints for the work of of ministry. And notice that it is a singular work. The word work is singular there, and the word ministry is singular in the original as well. So, there is one work of ministry that everybody is involved in. There are not the ministers and those who minister to, and those ministered to. There is the one ministry, the one service of the body that everybody's involved in and everybody receives from as well. We all give, we all receive. All of us called to ministry for the building up of the body of Christ. I read a story this week that uh, I found most interesting. It actually came out of a commentary. You don't always read interesting stories out of a commentary, but this was a commentary by Mark Roberts. And Mark Roberts um, writes that he was excited about this concept. He had learned this concept, which is kind of an anti-traditional concept that all the people of God are called to do the ministry of, uh, in the church. And so he got a, hired uh, his first time as a lead pastor. And so he thought at his new church for his inaugural sermon, I believe it was his first sermon, uh, he would preach Ephesians 4, 11, and 12, that the gifts of, of these ministries, uh, apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers, were given so that they could uh, build up the church who, members who are to do the ministry. And he says this, I assumed that this approach was commonplace. So when I first preached on Ephesians 4, 11, and 12 in my new church, I was surprised by the reaction. Many had not heard anything like this before. They believed the ministry was to be done by professionals like me, paid by their generous 
giving. After my sermon, a man I'll call Steve cornered me on the steps. His face glowed with anger. He pointed his finger at me and said, Pastor, you're just trying to get out of your job. You're trying to get us to do it for you. We pay you to do the ministry. Stop telling us to be the ministers of this church. I was stunned by Steve's reaction to my sermon because I believed that what I had preached was both commonly known and clearly taught in Scripture, not to mention good news for the church members. Squelching my defensiveness, I said, hey, hey, we aren't going to probably be able to settle this on the church steps, so let's get together next week and talk about your concerns. Maybe we can figure this out. That's a great approach, by the way. When Steve and I met, he had calmed down, so we had an open conversation. I walked him through Ephesians 4, 11, and 12 once again. I listened to his concerns about pastors not doing their jobs. I reassured him that I was not trying to get out of preaching and teaching and praying and shepherding the congregation. I helped him see I was doing those things not because I was the minister, but because I wanted to equip and empower Steve and other members of the church to be ministers. As we talked, Steve's attitude began to shift. You you mean if I wanted to teach a Bible study in the church, I, I could do that and you would help me? Yes, I said, that's a fine example. Well, I've always wanted to do something like that, Steve said, but have never felt like I could because I'm not ordained. Steve left my office that day excited about the possibilities for his ministry. He did indeed start a Bible study. I helped equip Steve for this work through my own preaching and teaching and personal discipleship. In time, as Steve lived into the story of his being a minister of Christ, he began to see his ministry as more than just his service in church. He got excited about the possibilities of serving Christ in his professional life as a financial advisor. He began to see his daily work as an opportunity for ministry. I shared that illustration not because I thought anybody would be yelling at me at the end of the service, so I was trying to cut that off. <clears throat> but make an appointment if you're mad. We'll talk. I, I, I do think this is commonly understood, at least up here. But I'm not sure our impulse is to show up saying, I'm a minister of this church, this body, and I leave here today, and I'm a minister in all the contexts that God has called me to for the next six days of the week as well. As pastors, our goal this year is to help all of us discover our place in God's mission. And I want to suggest that one of the first steps in that is to accept your call into the ministry. For everyone to accept their call into the ministry. Now, when I was growing up, I grew up in a tradition. I grew up a long time ago, but it was in a tradition that I don't know if this tradition even uses this language anymore, but I was in a tradition that spoke of surrendering to the call of ministry, which sort of sounded like God was an armed robber and, you know, put your hands up kind of a deal. It always sounded a little funny to me. I'm so, wow. But it was a good surrender. Uh, surrendering to the call of ministry because it was surrendering at one point because it was saying, Lord, I'm your vessel. I am available. Do with me what you want. Or in the words of the prophet, here I am, send me. Uh, now, what was specifically meant by that was recognizing a sense of uh, desire for uh, pastoral ministry. Pastoral ministry would be one type of ministry among all the various types of ministry. We're all ministers. That's one, one type. 
And so it was, it was acknowledging a sensing to be involved, uh, sensing of the Holy Spirit to be involved in one type of ministry called the pastoral ministry, or in that tradition called the ministry. There was only one kind of ministry, and that was for people who are doing like what I'm doing in this very moment. But I, I think it would be far better for everyone to surrender to the call of ministry, for everyone to say, Lord, here I am, send me, I am available. Show me who you've made me to be. Use my gifts. Allow me to be used for the building up of the body of Christ. Equip me through the equippers uh, that are in the church that I might be prepared to do what you have called me to do to build up your church. And, and while all of life uh, is an aspect of our service, all of life, the context here is very specifically building up the body of Christ. Next week, next Sunday, we will be welcoming a group of new members. So the church is growing. We're adding folks, wonderful folks, to our church. So does next Sunday mean that we're successful because there's more people in the room and in the living rooms and in the children's ministry and wherever Grace Church gathers? Does it mean we are successful? Well, I think you should ask us in a year or two or five. And the question won't be how, how many people are there. The question will be that the people that next week join this church a year from now, are they more connected into this body? Are they more equipped for ministry in this body, according to this text, and we could say more broadly, for all of life. And is each of them making contributions of their gifts and their time and their energy, their prayers and their service to building up this church? Next Sunday will be a celebration. That's what I'm, I'm saying this now and not next week. I don't want to be like putting a damper on it. Well, we'll see, everybody. I, I don't want to do that. So I'm saying it a week early. But the reality is we will celebrate the gift of God because these folks are the gift of God to us as a church next week. We will celebrate, and I won't be putting any ifs to it. We will celebrate. We'll have coffee and punch and cake or something out in the lobby afterwards. So we will celebrate. But the real mark of fruitfulness in the church is not that people made it to the place of saying, I want to join this church. That's the starting line, not the finish line. The real mark will be a year from now, and 12, uh, 12 months from now, 12 years from now, have we as a church embraced and made room in our lives for the new people that will stand here? Have we opened up our circle of friends to include them? Have we invited them into our homes and our groups? Have we said, come along with me and let's serve together? And have they uh, taken initiative, taken initiative on their part? That's the measure. Are they saying we are all members of the body of Christ, each gifted, each called, each serving in the ministry? There is one ministry, verse 12, to equip the saints for the work of ministry, the work of service. We all minister together. And lastly, we all mature together. We all mature together. Why does God give these gifts to equip everyone to minister? Well, look at verse 13. Why does he do this? Until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness 
of Christ. That's a lot of wordiness, but it ultimately means so that we all mature or grow up together. God is after maturing churches, and adult churches uh, look like this. We are all, we are being equipped until we all attain the unity of the faith in the knowledge of the Son of God. So we all together, all the church is seeking to grow in our unity, connected together, and in our knowledge of Christ. That would be both doctrinally, we're learning more about who Jesus is, what He's done, how to follow Him, and we're learning relationally. That is, we are knowing Christ personally, not just gathering uh, theological facts about Him. So we're growing in unity, we're growing in Christ, and the goal is that it says, verse 13, to reach mature manhood. The term could literally be translated perfect man, the per, to reach the perfect man, or until we reach the complete man, or until we reach the mature man. It, it points out that the body of Christ is one person. We already read this earlier. The body of Christ is viewed as one person, that there's no longer Jew or Gentile, chapter 2 says, uh, or chapter 3 says there's no longer Jew or Gentile. It is two. There's no longer Jew or Gentile. We're one new man. We're one, and here he says that we are, become, we are to become one, to be a mature man together. The goal is that we reach, as it says, the stature of the fullness of Christ together, that we're growing into Christ, we are growing to look more like Christ, we are growing empowered by Christ. We're not a couple of mature people or 10 mature people or even 100 mature people helping a bunch of immature people, but we are all maturing together. That is the goal. What does a mature church look like? What does it look like if we reach the mature manhood, verse 13? Well, he tells us in verse 14, so that we may no longer be children. So we are children. We may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine. Children, which actually sometimes the Bible uses children as a good thing to have childlike faith, but here it's a negative thing. Don't be children but, and be bounced around, but be mature. Children are naive. Children are foolish. Children lack discernment and experience that comes with age. They lack maturity that comes with age. That's why he says the mature church is made up of people that aren't tossed about this way and that way, chasing this doctrine and that new belief and that idea. So they're not immature, they're not lacking discernment, they're not naive, and they're not bouncing around doctrine to doctrine. And when he does this, he mixes metaphors. Did you notice this? He says, don't be like children, and then he says, don't be tossed around to and and fro. So he's saying, he's giving a picture of a baby, don't be a baby, and he's giving a picture of a boat. Don't be tossed around. So this is what the church is not to look like. Here's an image. This is what the church is not to look like. (laughs) Welcome to the church in America, of which we're a part. Uh, So we all know we're called the fish, fishers of men, but we don't really take it that seriously, right? We just sort of (laughs) go out there uh, with our… but that's what we 
can be like. That's the picture he's saying here. Don't be this. I mean, this is cute, but nobody wants to sail into sea with that little one as the captain, and nobody wants to go into that vessel uh, into a storm. That's a baby in a boat, and that's what he's saying. The church is not to be a baby in a boat, blown around by the latest cultural trends. I mean, that, that boat, if you take that boat and go to the sea, that's what he's saying. Avoid that because that boat will be blown every which way. But we do that as a church so easily. The church today is embracing so many. I'm talking about the broad church. The broad church is embracing so many, so many ideas, so embracing just wide open, getting tossed about everywhere. Uh, You see this all the time, people deconstructing their faith and reconstructing nothing in its place so that they just are left with nothing tossed back and forth. People saying, you know, the biblical sexual ethic, it's dated. The cultural sexual ethic is much more compassionate, much more tolerant, much more like the God that I like to think of. And so the biblical sexual ethic is thrown out the window uh, and, and now it's, uh, well, I can sleep with whomever I want, whenever I want, however I want. That's, that's where the church is buying into in so many places. The church is buying into prosperity theology, um, which just takes the American dream and baptizes it and says, I should be able to get all this stuff, whatever I want, everything should go my way um, as long as I have enough faith. We're blown about by every idea that comes around. Now it's very popular to say, I love Jesus. I believe in Jesus. I love the Gospels. I don't love the church. I don't participate in the church. The church is damaging. And obviously plenty of people have legitimately bad experiences in a church. We don't deny that. But, but that the church is, I want nothing to do with that. So I'll take four books of the Bible the sections that I'm comfortable with anyway, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, but I don't need the rest. And people, well, that's, you're following Jesus. That's an acceptable way. It's common today, at least in our country, to put politics over gospel and buy into, in particular, buy into all kinds of stuff. When you buy into politics over gospel, you can be led astray on the left or on the right. But one of the common things you see today is people buying into all kinds of new worldviews, Political conspiracy theories that are worldviews drenched in fear, and, uh, and, and they're shaping the way people view the world. So it's not the gospel anymore. It's the hidden thing that I'm convinced of. Um, it's what Satan's doing to rule everything, and I know what all's happening. And it's, it's, it's all this. So I, I don't view through the grid of Scripture. I, I view through the grid of whatever somebody's saying on this website or that website. Do you see how we are so quick to, to just embrace new ideas in the church? And we're like a baby in a boat, not built for maturity, not built for stability, not built for lasting, not built for something that God is going to change the world by. When we take the world and say, we'll just chase whatever the world's telling us, we don't change the world. We're no different than the world. So how do we change? Well, look at the very next verse. Rather, don't be a baby in a boat. Rather, speak the truth in love. 
Now, I've used this verse out of context most of my Christian life. Mostly, this verse is often used by, well, we've got to sit we've got to have coffee and correction. This verse is about correcting people. This verse is not about correcting people. I mean, it could apply. You could correct someone. But this isn't primarily about the verse to use when you just want to tell someone, uh, tell someone off or something like this in the body of Christ. This is the Christian critique. No, he's talking about the, the truth in the book of Ephesians is the gospel. We're talking about building on the foundation where everybody's maturing and everybody's ministering together. So it's much bigger than correction, though it would include that. He's like, no, build your life on the gospel. Build your life on the world of, word of God. Speak the truth of God to one another and do it in love so that everybody is built up together. Built up together so that we, we are reflecting who Christ is. About this speaking the truth in love, here's what Sinclair Ferguson says. He says, but the prolonged, intensive, faithful exposition of God's Word delivers us from immaturity. He's saying, how do you get out of immaturity? This is what the Word of God does as we uh, hear it taught and as we meditate on it and apply it and read it ourselves. It enables us to distinguish between what is true and false and between what is good and what is really best. We are then not deceived by false teaching. The truth of the gospel makes our spiritual antennae sensitive. If you want discernment and you want to have a sensitive antenna to discern true and false, right and wrong, and not be a baby in a boat, for us all not to be a baby in a boat, it's not just about me, it's about all of us, then we need to be filled with the Word of God speaking the truth in love. We're to grow up into him, he says, and this all happens together. Verse 16, the last verse, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow. So he's saying that we grow up into Christ when everybody is joined together, everybody connected, everybody speaking the truth in love, everybody being equipped, everybody ministering, and everybody properly working together. He says that makes the body build itself up in love. So this is a, what's happening right now. This is equipping, but it's a very small part of the overall picture of our lives, isn't it? Our equipping but it's the Word of God that enables us to follow. The plan for growth and maturity is for everyone to play their part, everyone connected together, and Christ is the source of all our growth and the goal of all our growth, which we pray includes numerical growth as people are folded in to real, authentic church life together in the gospel and not merely attending a meeting. Let me give you a couple ways to apply this if it's about equipping Here's a couple ways. Number one, would you pray for the leaders of the church that we would faithfully equip? So the problem's not that everybody has just misunderstood. I don't want to say today the problem's everybody's just misunderstood this verse if the church wasn't so ignorant. No, many times leaders have dominated ministry rather than multiplied it. So pray for your leaders, pray for us. We need God's grace and wisdom and discernment to be faithful in equipping the church for the work of ministry. Number two, get equipped. Well, how do you do that? Well, you participate with intentionality. I believe the last, uh, i got my clock here going, the last 30-something minutes that I've been talking, um, there's two things that could happen. You could be getting equipped today, or you could be, pass- you could be sleeping. M- maybe it's boring, I don't know. But you could be sleeping, or you could just be passively taking in some information, walk in, and it, walk out, and it's all gone. 
So we can be equipped when we participate intentionally, where we do something with what we have heard. I'm going to encourage you to take advantage of every opportunity that's provided for equipping, whether it's a small group meeting, whether it's a student group meeting, whether it's a men's or women's, whether it's Sunday morning. Every gathering is an, equip, is an opportunity for us to learn something that we can apply and then share. Oftentimes, it's one thing. You know, what is the one thing that I can take away from what I heard today or what I read in the Scripture what is one thing I can take away and act upon? We want, to, we want to create an environment where there is more and more opportunity for you to learn and to take something away that you can then apply to invest in others. So here's a couple of things just to let you know about coming at the first of the year. In January, we're going to begin a focus on equipping um, all of us to serve Christ in all of our lives. So in our small groups, the first half of next year, uh, you know, January to May-ish, somewhere in there, uh, we're going to be going through the reframe material in our small groups so that we can all be equipped together and apply together how do we follow Christ in all life. Not isolated, but I'm going to do that in community with other people. Uh, we're also going to, on the, uh, you'll see here in a minute, but in early January and the 8th, we're going to have the Seamless Life conference, which is an opportunity. You can take half a day on a Saturday. I promise you, you will get more than you can apply at that seminar, but you can apply something. So that's an opportunity to get equipped. Here's another great opportunity to get equipped. In January or February, Caleb, uh, we're starting soul care training. January? January. You say, I've always, like the guy in the story, wanted to lead a Bible study. I've always wanted to care for others, but I just assume the pastors and the trained, licensed counselors do all the counseling. But I wish I could counsel and help and come alongside people. That's what we've got. That's the whole purpose of soul care is Ephesians 4, 11, and 12. So that everybody's not setting up an appointment with Caleb and Lorianne or their community group leader, but they're setting up an appointment. Well, I got multiple people in the church that are trained, equipped, and can help me walk through issues in my heart. We'd like to have a whole church filled with people who know how to practice soul care, that is to care for another person. So do you see how those things, one's going to be caring for another people, one's going to be how do I apply the gospel in all my life. They're all, all geared to equip us to grow together, to serve together so that everybody's a minister and we all mature together. Not the top 10%, not the top 20%, 100% of our members maturing together. That's the goal. Next, begin to minister. Get equipped, begin to minister. Uh, I made a joke earlier about a sign-up sheet. We're actually doing that. Next week, we're having a ministry fair. What's a ministry fair? Well, I don't know, but come find out. It's going to be all of our Sunday morning ministries are going to have a booth out in the lobby. And our ministry is way more than Sunday morning, but it's not less than Sunday morning. And in some ways, Sunday morning is the first button on the shirt in some ways because it launches us into everything else. It's the first day of the week. So uh, you can come and sign up to find a place to serve on Sunday mornings next week, the ministry fair, so that what's one way to get equipped, I have found a lot of the equipping I have found out, I didn't, I'm one of those guys, I don't read the instructions, I just start doing it, and then later when it doesn't work, I read the instructions. But that's, a lot of us get equipped that way, just jump in and start doing it, and we'll figure it out while we go. There's certain things, that's not soul care, just jump in and tell them whatever you want. No, no, that's not, that's not soul care. But in some areas, that's the way it is. Uh, so just sign up, and someone will instruct you and help you. You'll get some help, and then you learn as you go. You learn and grow as you go. 
Final idea is to live connected. Verse 16 is about through our connection, we grow together, and we all need that. Well, there's more that could be said, but there's too much has already been said. So pray for your leaders. Get equipped. That means take intentional application in every opportunity you have in gathering with anyone in the church. Begin to minister. Find a place to serve. Step out and live connected. Why? Because here's our goal. We want to grow out of childish instability and grow into Christ as a truthful, loving, connected community where everyone's a minister and everyone matures together. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your rich word. We thank you for the scripture, which does equip us for all things. And we thank you that you have come to us, that you descended and won the victory for us and then ascended and poured out your spirit that we might uh, do the work of your service, your ministry to your body and to others in our lives. And we pray, Lord, that this passage would become more and more real to us. Guard us from the waves that toss us to and fro. Guard us from the immaturity that says it's all about me, the childish kind of attitude that we all can give into. Make us adults, Lord, who are seeking to give and to serve and to help others grow. Make us those kind of adults as you mature us together. Thank you for what you have done. Thank you for the new people that you are bringing. Thank you for the mission that you have given us. Lord, empower us to do all that you have called us. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Grace Church. To receive future messages, subscribe to the podcast on iTunes or listen online by visiting our website at gracechurchfrisco.org. 